Justin and Jake play the piano. He's really good at that. Thanks, Jake. Um, and I just feel so encouraged to be here. Uh, but to be honest, uh, there's a part of me that was very uh, nervous to come up here and speak to you guys today because this morning, um, you know, my wife and I, we have some disagreements sometimes. And, uh, and she really likes to spend money on Starbucks. And uh, I can't stand it. Like, I, it just oh, it gets under my skin every time I see that store. And she works there, so it's even worse. And I was just, like, having a bad attitude. And uh, the sad thing is I apologized. I said, I'm sorry I've been short-tempered. And then I did it again. <laughs> so bad. And so, but my thoughts were, man, I'm a sinner. How am I going to speak the words of God to you guys? But I was reminded of the scriptures which say, you know, that the Lord teaches sinners in the way. And so... I feel encouraged that God is with me, and I can teach you guys something, hopefully, from the Word of God today. Um, so before we get started, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just so immensely grateful for this church, for your church, for how you have um, washed us and purified us and made us holy despite our faults and blemishes. Lord, and I ask that you be with me as I strive to speak your Word, that each one of us would want to know you above all else. Father, that we would have a passion for knowing you and for making you known to others. And in Jesus' name, amen. So turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just listen along in, in verse 23. So if you're wondering, Joel's out of town. He's um, in Colorado. I think he might be skiing, lucky guy. Um, but the reason is because here at Chippewa Valley Church, we believe that family is important. So he's getting time with his son. Um, so you guys have the privilege, or perhaps the horror, of hearing me speak today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I want to boast a little bit. I hope that's okay. I want to boast a little bit about the university that I attended, the University of Minnesota. Okay, it's a quality university, quality institution. And uh, there's a few things that came to mind as I was thinking about it. Um, first, I want to compare it to the University of Wisconsin, because... You know, I'm from Minnesota, and there's sort of a rivalry that goes on. Um, so the University of Minnesota is probably one of the top schools in the world. And I'm going to substantiate that claim by pointing out that of the top schools in terms of Nobel Prizes, obviously you've got your Harvard and your Oxford. Who cares about those? They're overrated. <laughs> the thing is, the University of Minnesota lands at number 20. 23 Nobel Prizes won by faculty, alumni, stuff like that. That's pretty good. Second thing is, the University of Minnesota is worth, I think it's, I didn't write this down, maybe $6 billion. Okay, that's also top 20 in terms of value of a university anywhere. Okay, so it's very wealthy. But here's what's best, okay, this is my favorite, is that the University of Minnesota has won four national football championships, and Wisconsin has won zero. So when everybody talks about, oh, Minnesota football, they're no good, you don't know what you're talking about. We got a pedigree. We even have a chance of repeating. You guys don't, so unfortunately... But the, most, the thing that I boast the most about the University of Minnesota is the School of Agriculture. <laughs> I didn't study agriculture, but I think it's so cool. But the thing is, the University of Minnesota has this guy. His name is Norman Borlaug. Has anyone ever heard of Norman Borlaug? Okay, so first of all, that name is so Norwegian. It's just so awesome. <laughs> but Norman Borlaug attended the University of Minnesota, the School of Agriculture, and then he moved to Mexico to help out with some research there. And I don't know how long it took him, but over years he came up with 
essentially a hybrid strain of wheat that they ended up sending to India and Pakistan. The United States government sent a bunch of these seeds to India and Pakistan and eventually around the world. And Norman Borlaug won a Nobel Peace Prize. He's known as the man who saved a billion lives because his strain of wheat was so effective. And not only that, it spawned all sorts of new technologies that led to what's called the green Re or the, the agricultural revolution, something like that, green revolution, I think. Billion lives. Okay, that's quite the resume. And so he won a Nobel Peace Prize for that. And uh, he went to the University of Minnesota. So lives saved, one billion, Wisconsin, zero. That's how I see it. <laughs> so I like to boast in this. But in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, the Lord says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises justice, um, steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. So we have a lot of things that we like to boast about. You know, I, I love to boast about my jump shot. And yesterday, Chase Bradle humbled me because he hit one right in my face. <laughs> I like to boast about, you know, my size. I don't know. We have things that we boast about. And what we boast about reveals what we value. Right? When you, when you, when you show up to class and you're like, yeah, I got a 4.0. What are you saying? I think that's valuable. The University of Minnesota, by a worldly standard, has a lot to boast about. But in the eyes of God, not really. You know, we, sometimes in, the, in our own eyes, we have much to boast about. But in the eyes of God, there's only one thing we ought to boast about. And that is knowing him. And so, so sometimes, though, you hear that and you go, yeah, right. That just seems so weird. Why, why would knowing God be so important, so valuable? And the other thing that we think, and I think this is more prevalent, well, I've never seen God. How am I supposed to know him? How can I know a God that I don't see him? He's supposedly not possible for me to understand. How do I do this? And I don't think I can answer all those questions today. That's why this is going to be a two-part sermon series, which Joel's going to cover the second half next week. But today I just want to point out that there is nothing more important than knowing God. And I want to give you guys a few sort of base level things of how we're going to go about doing that or what it, what it takes to actually know God. My first question for you, though, is this. What do you boast about? Think about it. What do I boast about? What you boast about reveals what you value. And too often, we don't value knowing God that highly. But I just want to point out this, okay? My experience with knowing God has been a humbling experience. You know, when I was 16, that's when I really started my journey coming to know God, and I got baptized, and at the time, I thought, ah, I got this figured out. I know what I need to do, and the reality is I've been humbled over the years, and the reason is really simple. Right, right back in our verse, it says, it says, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Now, that, that word there, the Lord, 
people argue about how you actually pronounce it, but essentially what it means is I am that I am. Now, could someone explain that to me? What does that mean? I am that I am that I am. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to us in some ways. It's not something that you can just put in a box and encapsulate. Oh, yeah, I am that I am. I know what that means. You can't define it properly. The reason is God is God, and we are people. Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Flatland? Okay, probably not. Caleb Palmer might have seen it. Cassie, too. Remember in math class in high school? No? Oh, okay, I watched it. We went to high school together. And uh, we watched this movie called Flatland. Okay, really, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I'm weird, but it was about shapes, right? Uh, circles and squares. And they had these little shape figure people, uh, squares, living in this world that was flat. So it's completely flat. So there's no third dimension. There's no this, none of this. And this sphere suddenly showed up. And it actually came out of nowhere because spheres, you can't see a sphere if you're only in two dimensions. So it came out of nowhere and intersected their world and they were so confused. <laughs> they didn't know where it came from. It's as if it came from nowhere. See, that's what it's like for a two-dimensional object to interact with the third dimension, which we are in, three dimensions. But if you try to go to the fourth dimension, it's just as confusing for us. And guess what? There's a lot more than four dimensions. I think there's like 12. I don't know. Does anyone know? I have no idea. There's like 12. There's a bunch. Okay, there's tons of dimensions, and we only live in three of them. But we are so arrogant about our knowledge. Oh, I know this. I know that. And it's like, no, you don't. It's kind of like my dog, right? Well, it's not my dog. It's my parents' dog, right? When the dog wants something, sometimes you say no. And the dog is, like, annoyed. Like, it barks at you. Like, the other day, it did this very foolish thing. It went outside and it vomited. And because it had eaten two breakfasts, because it tricked us. Because she got fed, and then she acted like she didn't. And when someone else woke up later, they were like, oh, no, the dog. Uh, take care of it. It lied. <laughs> deceitful. So the dog had eaten too much, and she vomited. And then she wanted to go outside and eat the vomit. And so all day, she would come up to me, and she would bark and bark and claw me. And I was like, go away. I know what you want. <laughs> and, but then eventually, I was tricked. I said, maybe she just needs to go to the bathroom. So I went let her outside in a straight beeline right to the vomit. She got rebuked, and she came back. But the thing is, right, the dog doesn't understand me. It doesn't know what I'm thinking. It just wants what it wants. But I'm so much smarter than the dog. <laughs> so I'm probably right, right? You shouldn't eat your vomit. That's just weird. <laughs> but I'm, I'm right, but the dog wants what it wants. And that's how it is with God. God is so much bigger than us, so much smarter, that for us to try to, like, put him in a box is arrogance. Okay, so go to Job. Turn your Bibles to Job. Chapter uh, 40. I'm sorry, chapter 38. So some of you might not know the story of Job. So Job is... A very wealthy man. He's got a lot of children. He 
he's doing really well in life, at least by our standards. He's doing really well. And then in, in just an instant, all of that is taken away. His, his flocks, his livestock are taken away, which is his well-being. It's his money. His children all die because the house collapses on them. And he's having a rough time of it. And he's essentially questioning God. Now, he's being respectful about it. He's a smart guy. He knows he probably shouldn't overstep his bounds, but he's questioning God. And God takes issue with this. In chapter 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its corner, cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Of course, <laughs> now you can turn over to chapter 40. God questions him for two chapters. It's <laughs> good stuff. In chapter 40, it says, and the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. God questions him again. Okay, so Job clearly isn't getting what God wants him to get. Chapter 42, verse 1. God does it again for a couple chapters. <laughs> He's got a lot of questions. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. It's powerful stuff because Job is so humbled. Because all his questions are silly. It's not because they're necessarily bad questions. It's because the one he's asking knows the answer. And the way he's asking is prideful. And Job says this. This is what I want to focus on in verse 5. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. See, if we want to understand and know God, the first thing we have to do is humble ourselves. You know, it's easy to hear about God and have some vague idea, God is the Almighty, or God is all-knowing, and you list all these attributes, go down the line, God is kind, God is just. But to actually know God, it takes seeing. And that's a spiritual thing. It's something that I do believe we have control over to an extent, but that, that God grants us. The Bible says God grants repentance, and Job says here, I repent. Well, God helped him to do that. But the thing is that we can't claim to know God just because we've heard about him. We have to actually see him. 
and that requires great humility. You know, Job was actually, in God's eyes, a good man. And yet still he needed to humble himself. You know, often we think of ourselves as the good people. We probably need to humble ourselves. We probably should say like Job, I despise myself. I despise myself. What does he mean? Does he mean I find myself disgusting? I don't think so. What he means is, compared to you, God, I'm like nothing. Compared to you, I'm small. I'm of no account. I don't matter. And so my point is simple. We can't know God as if we could just make a dictionary listing God. The idea that there's an all-powerful and just be done with it. You know, that's encouraging for a few reasons. Number one, how boring would God be if you could just make a dictionary definition and be done with it? Oh, I'm going to spend eternity with him, and, uh, you know, it'll get stale after about two years. Like, I'm good. That sounds horrible. That's not what it's like. God is infinitely beyond us, so there's infinite things for us to strive to understand. The other thing is that we can know God. Now, we can't know him fully. We can't know him fully, at least now, we can't know him fully because we can't see him, we can't interact in that way. But we can know God because God has said, you can know me. I've revealed myself to you. And so we can know what God has revealed. You know, I, I think I, th we can tend to be in the two camps. We either feel like God is distant or we feel like he's too easy for us. Oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years. I got this. You know, I've been a Christian for, who, I don't know. I've been a Christian for nine years, and I can feel that way. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of, uh, it's just kind of boring. It's like, what is he talking about? You clearly have gotten a little arrogant in your heart. And that's certainly something that I've had to repent of. Or we can get in the other end where we go, you know what? There's no way. It's impossible. I give up. And I'm going to be honest. Sometimes when I act that way, it's just because I'm lazy. It's got nothing to do with how hard it is to know God. I'm just lazy. But the reality is that we can know God. God promises that. But we have to be humble. Okay? Let's go back to Jeremiah. Third point is really simple. It actually matters what kind of God we talk about when we say God. I had an interesting conversation recently with a guy, really nice guy. And I was on an airplane flying from L.A., and uh, my wife and I got separated. It was really traumatic for me. <laughs> but she was sitting elsewhere, so I sat next to this guy, this Somalian guy from Los Angeles, who was moving to Minneapolis. And, um, and so we got to talking and having a good conversation. He's telling me about his family and about his life. And then, and then, you know, I asked him, so, like, do you have a religion? And he said, yeah, I'm Muslim which I was kind of expecting, to be honest. And then I said, oh, that's great. So why are you Muslim? And, uh, you know, he's like, well, that's my culture. It's what I grew up with, all that stuff. And for, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes, he and I talked about this, and I, I spent it, I was trying to convince him not to be a Muslim. <laughs> now, it didn't work, but I got his phone number. Well, he got my phone number. But he said he was going to text me, so that's good. He hasn't. It's been a while. Let's hope he does. But the point is, I was talking to him, and he said, and he kept saying this, well, I've, I believe in Jesus too. And I was like, yeah, you do, because Muslims do believe that Jesus will come back to judge the earth. They believe that he's a prophet. So I said, but I don't believe in the same Jesus that you believe in. And he's like, really? I think you do. And I was like, no, we don't. And he kept trying to bring it back to, we just agree. He wanted to be at peace, right? He didn't want to talk anymore. And I was like, no, we don't agree. 
And sometimes we can, we can have that attitude like, oh, what, no big deal, the particulars, the details, they don't matter. But they do matter a lot. It's the difference between being a Muslim and being a Christian. Is Jesus the son of God or is he just a prophet? That's a big deal. And so he and I talked about that and I wasn't able to convince him. But this is what God says. Back in our verse, he says uh, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness on the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord so God says not only do you need to know that I am the Lord I think you could almost put a period there like well, why don't you think about that for a second he says but you need to know what sort of Lord I am that this is who I am this is what I do and when we when we search and when we fight and when we wrestle with God to try to understand who he really is it actually changes us too you know, we behold the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Beholding the glory of the Lord. It's just a looking. Like Job, he looked and he changed. He was like, wait a minute, I should repent. <laughs> and that's what happened to me. And that's what I was hoping would happen to my buddy on the plane. It's not what happened. But my point is simple, you guys. The reason we're going to study out knowing God for a whole year together in this sermon series, and there's no way that it's going to be exhaustive, is because there's nothing else that you should boast in, and there's nothing more important. And if you think that I'm, you know, putting too much weight on this one passage, Jesus said that to know God is eternal life. And there's many other passages, and Joel's going to really get into the details more next week of how we know God, because not only do we want to know God, we want to be known by God, which we are, but to know that and to experience that and the peace that comes from knowing God knows who I am. And we want to be known by other people and we want to make God known. And so Joel's going to help us learn how we're going to go about doing that. Um, I just want to say briefly that I'm really excited because we're going to be focusing on the Old Testament, which I think sometimes we neglect a little bit. And so we're going to go through, the plan is to go through the entire Old Testament. Um, obviously, we can't read every word. But, well, unless you guys want to do longer service. Yeah? <laughs> Amen, Wale's in. So we're going we're gonna to go through the whole Testament, and we're going to strive to know God. And then we're going to learn, how, okay, how are we going to make him known? And uh, so I just, I just want to repeat, you guys, that knowing God is the most important thing that you can do. That making God known requires humility, or knowing God requires humility. And that it is important that we know which God we're talking about. Um, so that's all I have for today. We can close out with a prayer. And I want you guys to think about, okay, what do I boast in? And how can I come to boast about knowing God? All right, let's pray.